Hey, everybody. It is Trags back with another episode of the Jungle Roar podcast, the bi-week edition of the Jungle Roar podcast, Bengals 5 and 4, heading into their bye, earning a well-deserved week off, and here to talk about the first nine weeks of the NFL season and maybe a few other things uh, on the sports menu for this weekend is the one and only Dan Horde. One of my very favorite broadcasters in sports, and I say that from the bottom of my heart for somebody who grew up idolizing Marty Brenneman, Dan, that is a very sincere compliment. Um, you can follow Dan, by the way, at on Twitter, at Dan underscore Horde. Dan, uh, welcome back. Rags, that is a very kind compliment. Anytime I am mentioned in a sentence with Marty Brenneman, I consider that to be the ultimate compliment. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. No, uh, no problem about that. You have earned it over the years, my fellow. Well, you're not a fellow Syracuse alum. You're a fellow Big East alum. Um, did Did you ever watch the Requiem for the Big East? Sure. Couldn't have missed it. So, uh, I thought it was great. My good friend, Sean McDonough, was featured prominently, which yes. is excellent. I miss those days. I went to Syracuse at the height of uh, the Big East Conference, at least in terms of kind of the national zeitgeist. Uh, when they sent three teams to the final four and had players like Chris Mullen, Patrick Ewing and Pearl Washington. So those were glorious days to be sure. Yes. So we will move on to uh, the current edition of the Cincinnati Bengals. They're five and four at the bye for the second straight week, a uh, second straight season. And I want to get from your perspective because you've been around this team for so long, uh, the difference you feel, maybe the differences and similarities between five and four this year and five and four at the bye last year. I think there's less of a difference than maybe people think because last year they lost their last two games going into the bye. The first one was the debacle against the Jets with Mike White at quarterback when he threw for more than 400 yards. The second one was the Cleveland home game where Joe Burrow threw, throws a 99-yard pick six on the opening drive and they wound up losing by 25 points, which was more lopsided than the loss in Cleveland two weeks ago. So mm. the sky was falling. People were ready to jump off bridges. After a five and two start, everything seemed to be going down the tubes. Then they righted the ship after the bye, and we know how things turned out. This year, just because expectations were so high, it seems like five and four is a massive underachievement. But I think since the first two games of the season, they've been one of the best teams in the AFC, particularly if you kind of push the Cleveland game aside. Right. So I don't think the difference is as vast as it might seem. The difference is the expectation level for the team going into the season. So here's the way I read that, Dan, is that they have demonstrated an ability to go on a late season run they did last year. And I think that's worth a lot this year. Now, you don't want to lean on it as a crutch, obviously, and this team, I think, is very conscious of that. Uh, I think the coaching staff will get deliver that message. Zach Taylor has said ad nauseum the last eight days or so. We are just focused on one game at a time. We're not worried about uh, the end of the schedule, which, you know, figures to be a, you know, a gauntlet uh, to really test every aspect of their team, you know, with Kansas City, Buffalo and Baltimore on the schedule, certainly Tampa Bay and Cleveland, Tampa Bay and New England on the road, also on the schedule. There's going to be a lot of tests, but I think Zach Taylor's message to his team right now is we can only worry about the game ahead of us. We can't worry about what happened in Cleveland. 
We can't worry about the fact that, you know, we blew out Carolina and we took care of business there. We have to be concerned about Pittsburgh on November 20th. It's what all good coaches do. You were around Bill Belichick for a long time. That's certainly something that he has mastered in the course of being arguably the greatest football coach in history. So I think Zach is very good at that. I think one obvious difference between last year and this year is the 0-3 division record. Realistically, that might mean the Bengals' only path to the playoffs is as a wild card team. Baltimore has an easy schedule going forward. They've got a one-game lead. They've got two wins in the division. So you've got, you have to finish ahead of Baltimore in all likelihood to be the AFC North champ. But having said that, if the Bengals do make the postseason as a wild card team, even if they have to go on the road multiple times, we saw last year they're capable of pulling off road upsets with Joe Burrow at quarterback. So as long as they can get into that postseason tournament, they'll have a chance. Yeah, I, I just, it's hard for me to envision this team stringing together four or five straight wins in a row, but they may be good enough to win, you know, with how many games are left? Eight games are left, right? They may be able to go six and two. Six and two should get them to the playoffs. You agree? I think five wins will get them in. If you can get to 10, more often than not, you're going to qualify for the playoffs. There are some years where that doesn't do it, but I think this year when you look at most of the teams in the playoff race already have three losses. I think 10 does it. 11, they're a lock. 11, they might win the division. But if I think, I think if they can get to 10, I do think they'll qualify for the playoffs. How encouraged were you by Joe Mixon on Sunday and his performance? And how much of you is, that was great, but it was one game. We want to see this going forward week after week after week. And it's not just Joe Mixon, but it's the run game uh, overall. Very encouraged. They're not going to rush for 241 again. But if they can average 130 or more, something like that going forward, right. that's when this team is at its best. Not only do you have balance, not only do you take advantage of one of your best weapons, I still think Joe Mixon is a top five to top eight running back in the NFL, but you also make it easier to pass block. And that's such yes. a big thing for this offense. If the offensive linemen know that the defensive linemen aren't teeing off, snap after snap after snap and they have at least that split second of doubt as to whether you're going to run the ball or pass the ball that makes it so much easier for this o-line and if joe burrow has time he will pick any defense apart so i was very encouraged by it and i do think there's a good chance it's going to be exponentially better in the final eight games than it was by and large in the first nine i think it has to be and the other thing i point I want to make is about Jamar Chase before we move on to other aspects of the Bengals and how the Bengals go about replacing his production. There's no way, obviously, one player on that roster is going to be replacing what Jamar Chase brings to it in terms of the production. But I think two or three other players can fill in here and there and, and help out. But the key to that to me, Dan, is for T. Higgins to step forward and make plays downfield and for Tyler Boyd to step forward and, and do what I, he has shown in, in games past years past uh, of being able to do. I agree with that. Let's throw Hayden Hurst in the mix. who's yep. on pace to possibly set the Bengals all-time record for receptions by a tight end in a season. The record 71. He's basically right on that pace. 
Uh, now his yardage isn't as good as Dan Ross put up in 1981, but still that would be a heck of an achievement for Hayden Hurst in his first year with the Bengals. But let's also keep this in mind. We might be talking about the Bengals being without Jamar Chase for one more game. They would not, they would have put him on IR if they thought he was going to miss four or more. I think there's a pretty good chance he'll miss the Pittsburgh game and be back for Tennessee. So for all the talk and all the discussion of how do they replace Jamar Chase, right. it might turn out to be a three-game issue. If he had been gone for the rest of the year, or they were concerned about him being gone for the rest of the year, do you think they would have made a deal at the trade deadline? Had, had that dynamic been different? Maybe it depends. Um, you know, so many of the they never make trades. People, That's why we ask this. I mean, almost never. Yeah, a lot of the wide receivers that people speculate about are making so much money that it wouldn't have made sense for the Bengals. They are saving their chips for the guys whose contracts are coming due, and they should. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson, etc. Chidobe Awuje when he gets healthy again. You got to have some money. Uh, left in the cap for these guys. So throw out a name like whatever, Brandon Cooks, it makes no sense to bring him in at that kind of salary for half a season. Cornerback is a different matter. I think had there been a good enough corner that a team was willing to give up for a fourth round pick or later, I know that's a lot of stuff to keep in mind. Had those conditions been in place, I think they would have considered it for a cornerback, but I don't really think so for wide receiver considering the guys that they have and like I said, the money involved. All right. Uh, let's talk about the defense and the injuries and Cheeto Wouzier and what his loss means and whether or not you feel, based on one game, what you saw from Eli Apple, which was very good, I thought, um, against Carolina. He was very active, very aggressive, very physical. And Cam Taylor Britt, who I'm pretty high on. I love his speed. Very, very fast cornerback. Do you think they're going to be able to withstand that? and getting Mike Hilton back from his left pinky injury, you think they are going to get back to where they were at the beginning of the year and throughout the middle part of the year? No. How's that for an answer? Uh-huh. I think Chidabe Awuje is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Guys like that don't grow on trees. You're not going to be able to replace him. It's going to hurt against teams like Kansas City and Buffalo. That doesn't mean they can't win. But that part of their defense is not going to be as good. The question is, can it still be good enough? And I think the answer to that is maybe, but we'll have to see. I think Eli Apple in his year and a half with Cincinnati has proven to be a competent NFL corner. And that's saying something. I don't use the word competent as an insult. I mean, that is a good thing because some people don't even think that he's that. And I think that's unfair. I think he has proven to be that. Cam Taylor Britt is a tremendous athlete, a smart kid, a hard worker. I think that he's going to be a really good player, but he's a rookie and there are going to be rookie moments. And then you have to hope that those guys can stay healthy because corners tend to get hurt. They're running up and down the field on every play. They're little guys trying to tackle big guys. I think if you look historically at the position group that suffers the most injuries during the course of the season, it's generally corners. So keep your fingers crossed that those guys can stay healthy the rest of the way. Also, Dax Hill, Uh, when he went down, there was a part of me that really went, oh, no, not quite to the degree of Cheeto Awuzie, but still, if they lose him, given the versatility, and he's only a rookie, and I understand that, but the versatility he brings and and the intellect in that secondary and what they have entrusted him to do, 
as a third safety, that would to me would be a significant loss. But I don't think he's going to be out long term. Um, I think it's just a week to week situation, you know, taking Zach Taylor at his word. That's my read of it as well. I do think after the Awuja injury, his role got more important because he can obviously play safety. He can play slot corner. I hope he's not pressed into service outside again. I think that's really tough on him considering he hadn't really played it since high school. But to have a guy that can fill in and play well at a wide variety of spots is a luxury. It's one of the reasons why they drafted him, and I do think he'll be important in the final eight games. What about the defensive line, Dan? I, you know, I think Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, I think they've seen more different type of coverages and, and fronts from offensive lines in, a, in an effort to try and slow them down because everybody knew coming into the year, especially with Hendrickson, uh, he was one of the, let's say, handful of best uh, edge rushers in the National Football League. How would you assess those two, those two players in particular? And Joseph, let's throw Joseph Asai in, in that mix as well. I think Hubbard and Hendrickson have been great. Trey doesn't have the sack production that he had last year or the year before with New Orleans, but he's still pressuring the quarterback at a very similar rate. There's some luck involved in polishing off sacks. Uh, he's an invaluable member of the defense. I think Sam Hubbard's having his best season. And when the Bengals were on Sunday Night Football against the Ravens, I had the chance to interview Chris Collinsworth before that yes. game. Chris said, I have not seen a more impressive player on tape this year than Sam Hubbard. That's saying something from Chris Collinsworth. That speaks to his down-to-down -down consistency. That speaks to his play against the run. That speaks to his play as a pass rusher. So sacks get you to Pro Bowls. Sacks lead to huge contracts. Stopping the run and being in the right gap play after play is not the kind of stuff that gets you recognition. It's the type of stuff that wins games. And Sam Hubbard is a, a winning player and a great member of this defense. Uh, Joseph Osai at this point in his career is a situational guy. I like the fact that he can rush on the inside or the outside, and he's going to have an impact in obvious passing situations. Uh, but that's another situation where I hope that Hubbard and Henderson, uh, Hendrickson stay healthy because there would be a drop off if either one of those guys was out. When does DJ Reader come back? He'll be back in the next game. He'll come back in time for Pittsburgh. I think everything tra is tracking uh, that that's going to be the case. The coaches have certainly expressed a lot of optimism that that'll be the case. We had DJ on one of our radio shows last week before the Carolina game, and he more or less said that he expected to be back. So I think, uh, fingers crossed, that he's going to be back in the lineup for Pittsburgh right after the bye. So my concern with DJ, and he knows his body obviously better than anybody, is the base that he plays underneath and the ferocity with which he plays. He's one of the, has shown to be one of the best defensive tackles in football. He's unheralded, I think, still, even though he played on a Super Bowl team last year. Um, but the difference he makes in being able to stop the run in the middle of the line, I just hope that when he does come back, his legs are underneath him. And anytime you have a knee injury, um, that is a concern, right? Sure, but it happened in week three. He's had enough time to recover, and I don't think they would run him back out there if he didn't, if they didn't think he was ready. I do agree with you on the quality of his play. Uh, I don't know how much stock you put into pro football focus rankings, but they have him ranked as the second best interior defensive lineman in football this year, 
only Chris Jones of the Chiefs is ranked higher. If you are a defensive tackle and you are graded higher than Aaron Donald, you're doing something incredibly well. And that's how well DJ Reader played in the first three games before he got hurt. I mean, he's playing at the level. I mean, he's a totally different type of player. And, and you watched Gino in his prime. But let me just ask you, how are they similar? How are they different? Gino Atkins and DJ Reader. I think Gino was probably more disruptive, you know, with his incredible first step quickness and power at his size. He got under guys' pads, got into the backfield and disrupted plays. I think DJ Reader is the more effective player down to down, play after play, taking on double teams, controlling either side of the center, making it easy for linebackers to play. So they're both great players. I think Geno Atkins is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Uh, it's too early to say that about DJ Reader, but they're certainly two of the all-time best in Bengals history. We looking at a new punter uh, for the Pittsburgh game. It felt that way uh, yeah. when Darren Simmons spoke to us the other day. I know, and I told you this off the air uh, the other day. I felt in the preseason that fans and media observed Chrisman's punts in the preseason and came to the conclusion that he was going to win the job. I never heard that in Darren Simmons' voice. I always heard reserve in Darren's voice that he didn't think it was time to make that change. He thought that Kevin was punting well enough, and obviously his value as a holder has been uh, well-documented. When Darren spoke to us the other day for the first time, I really thought I heard in his voice that if, if he hasn't made that decision, he is at least close to making it. Uh, so we'll see. I, I don't know if the decision has been made, but it certainly sounded like it is very, very much on the table. This is a production game. And the reason the change would be made is only Jake Bailey of the New England Patriots has a lower net punting average, uh, like 35.3 yards. And Kevin's just about 37.4, if I re recall the uh, number correctly, when I was doing my uh, research for uh, my story yesterday. And that has got to change because come the end of the year, cold weather games, bad weather, um, when you and, and against great teams, you need to be able to flip the field. And I think Darren Simmons mentioned that to us on Monday, that Kevin hasn't been able to do exactly that, flip the field this year enough. And I'm glad you mentioned net, net punting because that's the stat that matters. Right. Darren Simmons doesn't care if you are a guy that can kick it 60 yards downfield if it's a line drive that's going to be run back 22. He wants the ball between the numbers and the sideline. He wants good enough hang time to allow your coverage team to get down there. Kevin Huber has always provided that among the best in the NFL. Even last year, his net punting average, I believe, was top 10 in the NFL. So it's always been a strength of his, but it hasn't been so far this year. And they've got to decide, all right, maybe he's still kicking it well in practice, but he hasn't been kicking it well in games. Have we reached the point where it's not going to get better? And if that's the case, is this the time coming out of the bye to make the move? All right. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk about one of the uh, best nights of the year on the UC campus. And it happens on Friday night. It's uh, an annual event, almost annual, right, Dan? Nip at night where uh, the Bearcat football program hosts a game, national TV, of course. And this particular Friday night, it happens to be against uh, the East Carolina Pirates. Every time I mention East Carolina, I think of one player. 
You know that player? You, you Jeff Blake? Yes, Jeff Blake. Correct. And I think this Friday night should be an interesting game. Uh, there's a big, big battle going on in the AAC at the top of the conference. Tulane's the only undefeated. Then you have the Bearcats at 4-1. and one. Then you have ECU coming to town Friday night. Houston 3-2 and two off that 77-63 loss last Saturday night against SMU, which is also three and two. How much fun will Nip at Night be this Friday night for you to do that game and be part of that atmosphere? It's going to be great. The atmosphere for those night games at Nippert Stadium is phenomenal. I think uh, the student section brings it every time they play, but especially on the, the night games, whether it's a Friday or a Saturday. So it is going to be great. I think when you looked at those standings, Trags, I think you left out UCF. I UCF, did. Yes, yeah. I did. Which yep. is they also have one loss. Them. They're tied with Cincinnati and they have the head to head win over the Bearcats a couple of games ago. Tulane and UCF play this week. Right. So that's going to be a huge game in the conference. It's interesting from Cincinnati's perspective. I think some fans are probably thinking, well, it'd be great if Tulane lost. Then now Cincinnati's tied at the top of the league if Cincinnati wins with only one loss. But realistically, from the Bearcats' perspective, it might be better if Tulane wins and stays undefeated in league play because that would give UCF two losses. Then if Cincinnati could run the table, which they would need to do anyway in order to make the league championship game, they would have a head-to-head -head win over Tulane because that's the final game of the year. Right. And then Cincinnati could not only make the championship game, but host the championship game. So there's a lot at stake this weekend. The Tulane UCF game isn't all that important if the Bearcats don't win first on Friday night. So it's a huge game. And East Carolina is good. East Carolina beat UCF recently. They went on the road and won at BYU, BYU. in their last yeah. game. That's always hard to do. And they've had two weeks to get ready for this game whereas it's a short week for Cincinnati. So I think that's a significant disadvantage for the Bearcats. I love the way Ben Bryan has come on. Uh, I think he has really developed as a terrific pocket passer. I thought he made some terrific passes on Saturday in the win over Navy 20 to 10. Uh, Luke Fickle pointed that out after the game. Uh, he made some uh, passes to Tyler Scott it just in the right spot of the zone uh, that were well executed. Uh, but the first touchdown pass was a thing of beauty because it was, I believe, a drag route out to the sideline. And then um, Tyler Scott went up about five yards to the 20-yard line, caught the pass wide open, and then raced to the end zone. It's those little things I love watching a quarterback do as he's developing and I see that from Ben Bryant the other great thing about the play you just described is that was fourth and one right that was fourth and one at the 38 yard line of Navy so you don't expect a pass to begin with and you certainly don't expect the 38 yard touchdown pass Tyler Scott deserves the bulk of the credit I guess uh, catching that pass and then exploding away from the defense He's so good uh, that he's a future pro, in my opinion. But Ben Bryant has come a long way. He's got an NFL arm, he but he's still relatively inexperienced. He's learning how to read defenses. Uh, sometimes he needs to do everything a little bit quicker, whether it's getting into the play before they run out of time, whether it's recognizing what the defense is doing. That's still evolving. But there's a reason why Luke Fickle and Gino Gadouli chose him as the starter. They believe in him. I think he's done far more good than bad this year. And uh, let's hope that uh, he can lead them to three straight wins to finish out the regular season, because if he does, they will play in the American championship game for the fourth year in a row.
And I think the ultimate goal, as you pointed out to me several weeks ago, you know, the, the football playoff is out of the uh, picture, obviously, now with two losses. Uh, but still, to get a New Year's Day six bowl appearance, uh, how many in a row would that be for UC? Be three in a row. So the Cotton Bowl last year, the Peach Bowl the year before. Right. And now if they make it likely the Cotton Bowl again, it'd be an incredible accomplishment. Only one team outside of the so-called Power Five gets to play in one of those New Year's Six Bowl games. So it's hard to make it and to do it three years in a row, especially after losing nine NFL draft picks, the greatest quarterback in school history, at least right now, the likely NFL defensive rookie of the year in Sauce Gardner, who's been spectacular. Yes. Alec Pierce has played well for the Colts. The list goes on and on. To lose a class like that and still have a chance to be the one school outside of the Power Five to go to a New Year's Six Bowl would be an incredible achievement by Luke Fickle's team. Uh, you have UC basketball on Thursday night, nip at night on Friday night. I hope you get I haven't checked UC's basketball schedule Saturday and Sunday. Uh, they play Sunday at noon. Oh. So they have a game on Sunday and Trags on Saturday, the number one rated high school basketball player in the country, Isaiah Collier, who has Cincinnati listed among his final four schools, right. is playing a high school exhibition game at Sycamore High School on oh. Saturday at 3.30. So I'm going to go check that out. Obviously, I'd love to call his games in the future if he winds up right. choosing Cincinnati. But even if he doesn't, I think it's always neat to see a guy who could become, who knows, maybe he's a future NBA all-star. To see a guy like that when they're in high school is really a, a fun thing for me to do. So uh, I'm going to head to Sycamore and check that out on Saturday afternoon. Sports, you never take a break from sports, do you? Uh, whether whether you are a sports announcer or just a sports fan, don't you love it every I day? Do. Wouldn't you go to a game every yeah. day if you could? So when I have that opportunity, I take advantage of it. And I, I can't wait for this weekend. It's going to be fun. Well, you'll be busy uh, even on a bye week. And that's what I one of the reasons I love following you, Dan. You do a great job uh, in your career. And uh, when we get together I, in the media workroom, uh, at Paycor Stadium. Uh, it's always a treat to talk history with you, especially if it involves the Big East. As somebody who went to Villanova, Kyle Neptune's got a big, he's got an injury riddled Villanova team to start this, start the season. So I don't, I think it's going to be a little bit rougher start for the big East for Kyle Neptune, but still I'm going to enjoy uh, not only the end of the Bengals season and hopefully another run to the postseason, which would be awesome, but uh, also college basketball starting out. It's just a great time of year. Will Jay Wright coach again somewhere? So a lot of people think if doc rivers gets, um, fired, there's a possibility of the Sixers. Um, but I would say at this point, no, not, he won't, he won't coach again because I think he wants to stay around his wife, Patty. That means a lot to him. And I know this for a fact, Dan, he grew tired of the onrush of the NIL and making sure that his kids at Villanova were not being so-called cheated in the system or by the system. And, you know, that's one of the things and I know, you know, this Dan um, coaches have to be aware of, they have to be as much administrators or have somebody keeping them up to date on what's happening financially as they do with coaching and recruiting for their team. 
Well, it's a shame if all of those beautiful suits go to waste. <laughs> but uh, he had one heck of a run at Villanova, that's for sure. He did. Well, he is Dan Horde. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Horde. Uh, also follow him on WLW covering all of the UC sports. Nip at night this Friday night, college football. Uh, Bearcats take on Cleveland State on Thursday night. And uh, as you mentioned, they have another game on Sunday at noon. Correct. Ag against? I think it's Eastern Kentucky. Don't hold me to that, but that sounds right. Excellent. All right. He is Dan Horde. My name is Mike Petralia Trags. Be sure to click on the YouTube link below to follow the Jungle Roar podcast YouTube page. Also uh, follow this and download this podcast wherever you download your favorite podcast. For Dan Horde, my name is Mike Petralia. Thanks again for watching.